Welcome to the First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Anne Louise Gittleman is a New York Times bestselling author of over 37 books on diet, detox, the environment, and women's health. For more than four decades, Anne Louise has been regarded as a leading voice and visionary in nutrition and who has fearlessly stood on the front lines of holistic and integrative medicine. For more information, check out annlouise.com. That's A-N-N-L-O-U-I-S-E.com. And here's your host, Anne Louise Gittleman. Hi, everyone. Anne Louise Gittleman here today for another episode of First Lady of Nutrition podcast. And today it is indeed a pleasure to introduce a true master. You know, in this day and time, and I can say this because I've been around for 40 years plus, there are a lot of marketers. And most of you know who these marketers are, but they're very few masters. I'm pleased to say that John Parks Trowbridge is a master. He's an internationally recognized leader and speaker. He's also my integrative medicine doctor, and he's a specialist in areas such as mold, fungus, yeast, chelation, heavy metals, and all things autoimmune. So without further ado, it is my pleasure to introduce my doctor, John Parks Trowbridge. So Dr. T, you are my master, you are my personal physician, you are a trailblazer, and I'd like to know what prompted you to think outside the box? Oh gosh, uh, Dr. Gittleman, that's a, a very personal question. I, uh, When I was in high school, we'll start with that, I uh, kind of fantasized I was going to be a, a physician and be a, a heart surgeon, because that's when you know, these wonderful things were happening down here in Houston, and they were making great advances in uh, uh, all sorts of heart and blood vessel diseases. Then as I got into uh, college, I thought, nah, I don't know, I'm, I might be kind of squeamish about uh, uh, surgical things. I'll, I'll probably just be a medicine man. So then when I got into medical school, um, gee, you know, uh, i I really wasn't that squeamish about it, but when I went to surgical training in my third year, I told the uh, chief of surgery, I didn't realize it then, but he was a world famous surgeon, actually. <laughs> I told him, I said, you know, I thought eight weeks of surgery was about eight weeks too many because I was going to be a medicine man, but I'd let them teach me how best to refer to surgeons. <clears throat> oh, well. I walked into the operating room and absolutely fell in love with surgery. It's magical. It's magical. So at that point, I kind of changed my plans and started uh, looking more towards surgery. And then I actually did a training uh, in general surgery and urological surgery until I, I realized something really profound. I'm, uh, I'm too opinionated to be a referral surgeon. Uh, I, uh, I felt my duty was to the patient, not to any other doctor. So I would freely change orders and advise uh, doctors about a better way of doing something. That's not a good way to get referrals. No, so I decided you're too, too caring and too curious. Well, you you can call it, they call it just being an asshole. But anyway. Oh my gosh. So, uh, so I decided I'd go into general practice. I had good training in medicine, good training in surgery, and I went to general practice, and I was really quite happy. I mean, uh, I had a fellow come in in his early 50s, and he was really struggling with 
uh, his arthritis. And at that point, I said, well, have you tried this new drug that has come out? It's called Naproxen. No, they hadn't tried it. So we prescribed it and they thought I walked on water. His, his joint pains were so dramatically better and continued that way until uh, the nurses called me to the intensive care unit uh, where he had just been admitting, admitted for bleeding, profound bleeding. And uh, we literally could not pump blood into him fast enough for me to take him to surgery 80 feet down the hall and he died. Mm. now sorry you know the the bad news dr gittleman is you know the whole story of medicine first do no harm well okay but some of the things have some potentially harmful side effects and sir, sure enough he he died from a known side effect from naproxen one of the nsaid nsaids or non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs uh, that we use for controlling inflammation and uh, that was that was profound for me. I uh, I had not been face to face with anything like this. So I spent uh, about four months kind of being depressed and figuring out what I wanted to do. The uh, when I was at the NIH, I talked with them about coming back there to uh, study and work, and thought maybe I'll go to law school or biz school and get a degree, and then go do you know, uh, public health medicine where you can kill them by the hundreds of thousands rather than just one at a time. Mm -hmm. And uh, then I discovered nutrition and uh, never looked back. I mean, Dr. Gittleman, you, you know, you've, you've, you've looked at all this nutritional stuff. That's healing. That's, that's power. And all of a sudden I found I could do things with nutritional focus that I had never been able to do with all of my uh, medical and surgical training. So That's how I got on that road. When I first heard about you, it was many moons ago, you wrote a book called The Yeast Syndrome. So yes. how impactful is learning about yeast, mold, and fungus when it comes to health? You know, uh, Dr. Gittleman, I found out about that in 1983. And I, so I'd been in practice uh, just about four and a half, five years at that point. And one of my friends I was visiting had introduced me to this and oh my goodness uh this this was the answer to so many human health problems because we are wet warm and wonderful so <laughs> you know yeast like growing on us and in us and such and I thought at that point this was going to be a profound incredible advance in all private practices. You know, the private practice is going away, you know. Uh, solo folks like me are a dying breed because everybody's going to be a, a corporate hospital doctor now. Mm. And uh, I was thrilled. And so I wrote the uh, the yeast syndrome book because I, I, I didn't see anything good that profoundly took the information available in the published medical literature and and told it in such a way that people could see this is real science. And uh, that was in 1986. And I have to tell you, uh, most of uh, modern medicine still doesn't believe me, <laughs> okay? Um, even though the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control say, uh, hey, we, we need to start thinking fungus. If you think fungus, then you're likely to get more treatment available for people. You know, fungus, yeast, mold, and mildew, that's all the same thing. Uh, 
different kingdom than we are. And what's frustrating to me, and, and Dr. Gettleman, you have a, encountered this through your entire life. You can deal with the truth all you want and get dismissed all they want. And that's just the way it works. But who cares as long as you're helping people? And you've helped hundreds of thousands of people. So do you think that the yeast syndrome is still a problem today as it was in the 1980s, Dr. T? Oh, gosh, not at all. It's about 10 times worse. Whoa. And why is that? You know, when you look at what really is the problem with yeast syndrome, it's, it's not the yeast, it's the people, okay? And we are more profoundly uh, uh, targets of the yeast because we have more and more antibiotics, more freely given. And, and that's not just for us. It's also for the animals that we're eating, okay? And we get that load as well. Uh, there's uh, birth control pills. There's cortisone, even freely available over the counter now is, as you know, creams and such. Um, and then we have what I call my deplorable diet. Uh, did you know, I'm, I'm actually, I'm sure you do, but most of your listeners probably don't, 20% of America's meals are now eaten in the car. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> but, but it's really good food. I mean, you know, uh, yeah, right. Mm. <laughs> Deplorable diet. And so the, the reason that the, the yeast syndrome is more profound now, besides the fact it's not recognized, it is not treated by the doctors, uh, or if it is, it's very poorly uh, addressed by the doctors. And, and the, the problem is we keep raising our children. And I think this is a, a crime against our own humanity. We raise them without actually giving them the understanding of what is critical to stay healthy. And, and, uh, you know, the fast food, I'm sorry, it's not called fast food. They call themselves the quick serve restaurants. Mm. <laughs> The fast food is just so dangerous. Not only is it depleted nutritionally. Oh, you've written about this extensively. The food quality is just not there. Mm -hmm. Then they do all the mess with the preparation and they and it just gets from, goes from bad to worse. And we are much, much worse now with yeast than ever before. So how do you differentiate? How do you differentiate between an individual that is actually yeast infected versus fungus versus mold. Do you do special testing, Dr. T? I mean, I know the answer to this, but I want my people to know how profound your your work is. Uh, Dr. Gittleman, I think, uh, for, first of all, this is the diagnosis of the yeast syndrome is a classical historical uh, diagnosis. In other words, you talk to the patient can almost always pin it down and it'll start with you know, re recurrent strep or ear infections as a kid or sinus infections or asthma and bronchitis and acne. And they're, they're getting antibiotics all along the way. And there may be actually a point at which they say, and then I really started getting sick and not getting better. Boom. That's when they really turn the corner. So the yeast syndrome is almost easy. My staff will, will tell me when I'm going, and oh, I've got another yeast one because, you know, they, they can see it right away. The problem is when you have more subtle symptoms, as I would call it. You know, patients come in and it's they, they've got something that's been puzzling uh, to, to doctors often for years and different specialists and such, but they don't have a whole lot of other symptoms that kind of point to it. It may be more difficult to kind of pin down a, quote, starting point. Those folks concern me for two reasons. Number one, uh, 
the yeast, as I said, is not the problem. It's the, the patient, okay? And their chemistry gets distorted. And of course, the more yeast you grow, the more chemistry interruption it makes to your chemistry. And so lots of things can happen, but you can actually conceal deeper seated infections that we never had a, a handle on at all until one of my friends, Stephen Fry from uh, uh, Scottsdale, Arizona, uh, realized that there are uh, markers that can be seen in the blood that are genetic tags from, I call it uh, deep blood fungus. That, that's just my nickname for it. But it can be from uh, fungus uh, organisms. It can be from parasite organisms and so on. And you're not supposed to find genetic snips from you know other things inside you. That's not allowable. And uh, indeed, uh, they were able through his technology to uh, pin down some of these things as specific uh, fungi or specific parasites. And indeed, um, he absolutely proved a number of uh, infestations and infections in things we had never, ever suspected. For I'll give an example. Inside the blockage uh, the grommets that you can remove from heart arteries, the, the blocking stuff, you can actually uh, see uh, markers of infection in there, okay? Uh, you can see it from joint tissues in people with autoimmune diseases, rheumatoid and lupus and things like that. And so sometimes these uh, deeper infections will be much more subtle, kind of, sort of. And the reason I've I, you know, stop me if I'm just wandering off. But... Oh, no, this is phenomenally interesting. I have so many of my listeners are infested with mold, yeast, or fungus, or have issues that they know no cause for. And this will be very helpful, especially with your association with the Fry Labs, where you can actually test this genetically. Oh, gosh, you know, I, I wish that were true. I have to tell you that Dr. Fry notified me a few weeks ago that he has closed the lab because... Uh, the uh, the insurance companies made it virtually impossible for him to make a living continuing to do the tests. They were quite expensive. He had the most elegant laboratory set up and developed a number of the algorithms and, and processes by which they could really pin this down for certain. What a shame. Is anybody continuing the uh, technology? Not, not yet. Not that I know of, but I have to tell you. Well, first of all, I have about, you know, over seven years of experience playing with this now. So clinically, I'm a bit adept at that but i sure did like having um confirmation a, a, yes and, and actually I'll, I'll address that in just a, a little bit about the, the neat thing that that proved but basically what the the problem is anymore um we have in medicine i like to think of it as the roll top desk you remember those old desks where they would uh, roll down and up and inside would be these little cubby holes oh yes and 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 I consider that most of American medicine is interested in putting you in a cubby hole so that once we have enough of a, quote, diagnosis on you, uh, we stuff you in the cubby hole. And then it really doesn't matter what you complain of, what you ask about, whatever new thing has come. Oh, well, people like you, people in that cubby hole, get those kind of problems. We never have to pay attention to you anymore. We, just, we already know that's all just from you and your cubby hole. Mm. That's crazy. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, you talked about this and your stuff. You know, people don't get 
a thing. They can get multiple things at the same time. They might be related. They might not. But I tell people it's like having a chair or a table that has four legs. You can't just fix three and continue to use it. You got to fix everything there. And and the problem is, is that the way we have learned how to specialize medicine, you know, we have the left-handed doctor and the right-hand doctor, and they don't talk to each other. You've got to go see the other one. And uh, this super specialization has lost focus on what, and you, and you defined this in your writings a long, long time ago, you step back and you look at the big picture and you go, hey, look at what might be causing this. And then you want to treat the root of the problem, not just all the things that are showing up because of it. Exactly. But what I love about your work, and I've gone through it myself, is that you are a real integrated physician. You use the best of the allopathic and the natural. Mm. You know, that's kind of the way I thought science should be. Actually, I had a very delightful relationship with um, Jimmy Howell. He was one of the surgery chiefs downtown at Baylor. He did the very first bypass operation, heart bypass in 1984 in November, I believe. And because of my work with chelation therapy, helping with various, uh, you know, cardiovascular diseases and such, I got to know him. And well, the, <laughs> the neat thing is, is that I would send him patients, you know, saying maybe this one needs an operation on their neck, their heart, whatever. And he would send them back and saying, yep, we're, we're going to treat the left neck artery. But, you know, the right one's not at that point. I'm telling him, just come back to see you to keep doing your chelation. That might be enough. And it's like, wait a minute. Here are two of us kind of leading in our respective areas, working together to provide the patient the best treatment at that time. Hmm. That's just what it ought to be. Yes, indeed. It's it's not competitive. It's cooperative. Integrative. I love that. So exactly. with, with yeast particularly, you yes. you so brilliantly diagnosed something with me. I, I'm very grateful that I had the benefit of working with Fry Labs because they found a particular, yes. uh, I guess it was a fungal metabolite or a mold metabolite called vomit toxin. What a name. And I looked that up and I found that it was connected very much to grains and particularly corn. And because we arrived in Houston so late, we've got another home and office in Houston. The only thing in the house was this air pop popcorn. I would indulge in that, <laughs> not realizing there was a ton of mold or mildew, you know, right after the hurricanes. So mm -hmm. I thought that was particularly brilliant. But what do yeah. you use? What can we tell many of our listeners that would be a very good prophylactic and even treatment that that is natural for mold, fungus, or yeast? I'm looking particularly at that underquinoic acid that you're so fond of, the yeast killer. Right. Well, you, you know, Dr. Gittleman, you, you, you bring up some wonderful things because the very first treatment is always dietary change. Mm. Always. And, and that is, you know, I call it like uh, you got to remove the shoe that's causing the blister. Or are you going to keep putting, you know, band-aids on the blister all the time? So you want to decrease the sugars and starches. Those are the, the primary things upon which the yeast is living inside and outside. The, the funny thing is, you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, I, I'm gluten intolerant. I have to stay away from that. Well, really, uh, you know, celiac disease is a genetic issue with gluten. Okay. But very few people have that. 
the people who are saying, I feel better because I'm restricting gluten, which be grains, things like that, uh, those folks are avoiding yeasty foods. Yeah. <laughs> They've made the dietary change, not realizing that it may be because of yeast and not at all because of the gluten. Agreed. Uh, and so the first thing is dietary change. I, I like to get people onto fresh, whole, raw foods as much as possible. And when they will make that change, when they were really, yeah, and we say, you know, meats and eggs and vegetables and yogurt. And I have people all the time contend with me. Oh, there's this, their problem. That's probably, you, you, you can deal with all those problems. But, you know, these are foods that people have lived on for millennia and quite healthy. What about yeast, Dr. T? Uh, not yeast, cheese, I'm sorry. Cheese. You know, I, I, I go to cheese uh, and after they're doing well on that first phase, I go to cheeses. Uh, first, the hard cheeses, not the soft ones and certainly not the moldy ones like blue cheese, which I love. Mm. <laughs> and, and in fact, you know, mold mold is a um, mold and yeast is a phenomenal, wonderful human benefit from God. It, it makes beer. It makes wine. It makes spirits. It makes bread. It makes, <laughs> uh, you know, go through the whole list. It flavors things delightfully so, and it's okay unless we get out of balance. You know, I tell people if you have a few pesky weeds in your lawn, you don't worry too much. It's when the the weeds start overtaking everything in your in your lawn. Oh, you got a problem there. And so as as long as we can live in a kind of a balance with things, that's great. Uh, and so what we're trying to do with the dietary thing, as well as, you know, treating the yeast is reestablish a normal pattern of eating that people can be healthy with. So like you say, cheese, I'd love getting people on cheese and, you know, more of the vegetables and then some of the fruits and gradually increasing this as long as they're able to tolerate. And, and I, and people say, how long do I have to do this? And I go, we're going to squeeze down on the yeast so that your body can, you know, deal with it and build up on you. Now, whatever changes have happened to you because of your past or because of yeast toxins, they're very poisonous, but because of yeast toxins, whatever, that's how long it takes until we get that repaired. And then as that's repaired, we get you back into normal balance and you can lead a very good life, maybe not with 20% of your meals eaten in the car. Hmm. And then so, where does where does the yeast killer come into play? I, I'm the endoquinoic acid is a byproduct of castor oil. Yes, so I'm just yes. wondering what, and that's one of your favorite supplements. Absolutely. I'm wondering yeah. if you could talk a little bit about that. It's something that most people are not aware of in this field. Uh, you know, isn't that sad? Uh, you know, Doctor Gittleman, you you and I uh, have the advantage of you know having done this for many years, and we look at these others, and you go. They really don't know that. Uh, we got know. we got a better job of educating them. If, if they would read your books, that or would help. yours or yours, that would help. So uh, let's talk about you know we get them on the dietary program, and then start them on some basic nutritional supplements to help replace things we know the yeast is making go low. For instance, magnesium, vitamin B six, things like this that that are being uh, damaged by the yeast toxins. And then I'd like, and once we kind of get them in a good place like that, I'd like to start the undesalinic acid or, then uh, there's little variations. On it. it is a, a castor oil product. That's, that's right. And so the deal is simply this. I call it my wet sponge. Okay. If you have a soaking wet sponge and you hit it with a sledgehammer, it splatters water everywhere. 
But if you have a sucking wet sponge and you just gently press down, press down, press down, as water comes out, it gets evaporated into the air. And so these, these uh, you know, fatty acids, undesalinic, whatever, uh, that's just kind of a gentle squeeze. So not too much toxin gets splattered out very fast. Okay. Mm -hmm. And as we get that going, then I like to introduce uh, one of the uh, azole compounds. These are medications, okay, that very effectively can reduce the levels of, of yeast uh, and, and fungus and such in your body. And then I try and just withdraw that and go just to Nystatin, which, goodness, that's been around since mid-1950s. And this is funny. This is a bacterial byproduct that controls yeast because they compete in that. It was actually from a barnyard. It's New York State, N-Y-S-T-A-T-I-N, Nystatin, um, where they oh, found it. Kidding. I never knew that. That is phenomenally interesting. I'm an East Coaster, so of course I love that info. I, I love the backstories because they give you kind of the historical perspective. And so the same way, you know, we have penicillin, which is a mold produced thing because of bacteria that compete in the environment and so the penicillin can, can then kill bacteria well the the bacteria have this nystatin that can kill yeast and so we're learning how nature maintains and controls its balance so and the nice thing about nystatin it's been studied so many years it's safe for pregnant mommies brand new babies virtually everybody you know what's What's so interesting, and I have to just rudely and jump in and interrupt because I'm oh, so fascinated please. by this. Um, as a young girl, of course, I took tetracycline. I mean, I took it prophylactically oh. if I thought I was going to have a pimple because I used to model. And just, God, forbid, <laughs> God forbid there was something that was coming up. I would just, you know, pop a tetracycline. As oh. I've gotten older, of course, I use naturally anti-yeast things. And I'm a, I love your yeast killer. That's that product that you recommend so highly. And I also took, because you're my doctor and, and everybody on this podcast knows about that, I also took Sporinex. But the one that I had the most difficulty was with Nystatin. Why would somebody have such die-off with Nystatin and not really have it with the other medications? Excellent question. And that's where the wet sponge thing came up for me. It is brutal what it encounters. It, it brutal. open, Okay. And all the toxin can spill out. The azoles, the prescription drugs I was talking about, punch little holes and the yeast kind of bleed to death slowly. And so it, the nystatin will give you a phenomenal surge of toxin if there's a goodly amount of yeast growing in there because the nystatin just explodes them. And so we had to develop this. Actually, when I started treating this in 83, uh, fully one out of a three patients would not come back for their second or third visit. Oh now, my gosh. Now I'm thinking I've got the answer to their, their questions and concerns and they're not coming back. And, and so we call them and they said, Hey, uh, I only thought I felt sick until I saw you. <laughs> oh gosh, That's real so, timer, isn't it? Oh my gosh. You know, you, you can read about all these things, you know, you, you've been through all your training and, and so you, you read about things, you go, mm, that's interesting, until you experience it yourself or you see someone go through it. Herxheimer is a really flagrant uh, allergic response uh, to things. It's it's massive. 
it's a real toxic response. So, so what, I had to, what, do you, a, a, what do you do to counter that, Dr. T? That's such a great question. I had to come up with a solution to that, Dr. Gittleman, because there, there wasn't at the time when I was doing this that, you know, you just got people through it or you didn't. <clears throat> By serendipity. I, I'm a big believer that God leads me in the directions he wants me. Mm. So I just try to follow without too much hassle. And I realized that uh, there was something that standard process made called Zymex 2, Roman numeral 2. Oh, yes. The anti-parasitic I used to use with kids. Wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful. Well, Gentle, it, gentle too. It's wonderfully gentle and it's a nice proteolytic enzyme. And later I discovered that studies had actually been done and showed that it encouraged the growth of more natural bacteria in your gut, the microbiome. Mm. So I kind of accidentally came on this that it helps chew up the toxin that's getting released and it helps sponsor better growth in there. So that's one of the things. The other is vitamin C. And as you have well documented in your book, since that vitamin C is a beautiful antioxidant, it, it just, it's so life-promoting and anti-toxic, it's wonderful. And the third thing we figured out was uh, baking soda. Uh, if it's not convenient, then you can get Alka-Seltzer Gold, which is basically baking soda. And that alkalinization, yeast do not like that. And it helps to, to control the uh, toxic events associated with the die-off. Um, that little program uh, allowed us to move most people fairly rapidly through the die-off uh, discomforts within uh, three to seven days. Wow, that's big time. Because who would think that a little nice statin could have such a big, big oh. die-off effect? Oh, yeah. That uh, surprised yeah. me more than anything. And I've been doing all your protocols diligently for the past four months. But that nice statin was a killer. Uh, we try not to say that word. That nice statin <laughs> was a challenge. A challenge, yes. You know, uh, people say, uh, you know, have you done this yourself? And I'm thinking, you don't know. But when I was leaving for the conference where I went to the first uh, conference in 1983 to learn about yeast, uh, I'm in the shower and I'm scratching the edge, the side of my middle finger. And I'm going, damn it, this itch just bothers me. And later found out that there is a particular symptom called the dermatophytid reaction. And that's when you're growing Easter fungus inside you uh, along the edge of your fingers, not, not the top or the bottom or along the edge. You can get this little itchy. There's nothing there. You can biopsy. There's nothing. You can culture. There's nothing. It just is itching like crazy. <laughs> and I'm in the shower literally the day I'm leaving for that conference and later for, oh, that's part of my yeast. Oh, and, and where would I get that? Oh, let me think. How many times did I have strep throat as a kid? Um, when did I take tetracycline for acne? Um, you know, start going through the list. We all have been there because this society, and Dr. Gittleman, this bothers me so much. This society is not pro-health. No, it's very true. Pro-disease. Exactly. And and that so much limits our joy in life. 
Hi, my friends. Before I go any further, let me take a moment to, to acknowledge my sponsor, Unikey Health at UnikeyHealth.com, which is your universal key to health since 1992. I have been a spokesperson for this company for over 30 years. They're the home of all my weight loss plans, the Fab Lasting Bio Builder, which has been featured in national magazines. They also carry the ultimate brain support and the magnesium multitasker. So whether it's weight loss, internal cleansing, or just targeted health support, go to unikeyhealth.com. Tell them Anne Louise sent you. So how does your work differ from that of the earlier pioneers as well? I mean, I met Billy Cook many, many moons ago in California, and then the fellow that wrote the missing diagnosis, what was his name, Orion Trust? Is Orion that Trust. So you've Billy taken Cook. their work to another level, am I correct? Kind of. Uh, Orion Trust is a kind of a very straight-laced uh, academic he was, you know. And, and absolutely brilliant as far as I'm concerned and putting together his observations and saying, oh, looky here. He, you know, he called it the, the missing diagnosis because people didn't see the yeast, so they missed it. And, and then uh, Billy Crook learned about this from him. And Billy was a Southern gentleman to beat all hell. Oh, he was, yeah. Oh, what a, what a fine human being. He Charmer, was a charming guy. What a nice way of saying it, yes. He was a pediatric allergist, and I can just imagine taking my kids in to see him, how comfortable they would feel with someone like that. And and he was putting it together, and and when he was writing his book, The Yeast Connection, um, he was showing me, you know, he'd have these typewritten pages, John, look at this, look at this. And, and you know, he was putting these chapters together and doing a delightful job explaining this in very, you know, people-friendly terms. And then uh, he he published the yeast connection by himself because he couldn't get a publisher, and he would drive, literally drive around with boxes of books in his car, and you know go to health food stores and whatever. And, you and know, it, worked. it worked. It worked. It worked. He he got the. What happened was, uh, I wanted to write a, a bit more of an academic book to kind of show that there was a, um, you know, a scientific basis for the kinds of things I was doing and claiming. It's in the medical literature. This is not new. It's just nobody really put all these things together easily. And so when I uh, proposed the yeast syndrome book, uh, I was rejected by 17 publishers. Mm. And and then Bantam was looking at it and they hopped on it because <laughs> they heard Random House had bought uh, the yeast connection from Billy Crook and they were going to be publishing it. Oh and, my goodness! And wanted to have their book. So, what year was your book published? 1986. 1986, two years before my beyond. Who was your Who was your uh, editor? Do you remember Bantam? Oh gosh, um, Tony. Um, uh, what was Tony's last name? She was one of the big ones. Now, she, uh, yeah, she definitely became. She kind of shot up. She had mine another one or two in the next couple of years. And she became like a senior major editor, uh, kind of writing those three books. And, uh, oh, gosh, how can I forget? I know. That? I can't think of her name either because my book she was, was published in, in 88. And I remember them she, talking about Tony. Yeah, she was delightful. Delightful she, and brilliant and very, uh, very avant-garde. A, a very insistent coach. She had several things she wanted to kind of lean on me about. We went back and forth and back and forth. But, you know she was well able to put forth her concern. And basically she said, 
I want to have a mass published book and, you know, we got to make an appeal to the paperback market. And she did. Right. Very much. Very much. And that really launched you. Are you are you still close with our good friend Doug Doug Kaufman? Oh, there's a there's a backstory there. Would you like to hear this? I'd oh. love to, I'd love to, and my listeners would too. Well, 1981. <clears throat> so I've been in practice a little over about two and a half years, <clears throat> and I hear about this thing called food allergies. And this uh, fellow is uh, coming to Houston, and he's going to be giving a you know a few lectures. I don't know, two or three days worth of on food allergies. And I go there, and I meet Doug Kaufman, and he's running this food allergy lab. Well, Doug and I just kind of hit it off. We just, nice personality click. And and so he has just taught me a world about food allergies at that point. Of course, not, I don't realize, but you know, that is, yeast is a really fundamental basis for a lot of food allergy issues. So true. So 1984, I'm really starting to get into treating this yeast thing. And I get hold of Doug, I think it was late 84, 85. And I said, have I got something to show you? So I showed him all my little stuff that I was doing. He said, that's pretty cool. Doug gets hired on by uh, some physicians at Medical City Dallas. Now, this was a really excellently well-organized medical group there, okay? <clears throat> and, and some of the docs said, look, I'll, I'll send you patients. This is fascinating. I'll send you patients and I'll write the prescriptions that you need for them and stuff, but just don't kill anybody. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so... So Doug gets a lot of experience coaching patients and doing things, helping people through. And as you well know, and you and I certainly appreciate this, he is a wonderful media personality. Just like you, yes. Indeed. Well, I know he's he is a pro. He he he's has my total admiration. So Doug starts uh, doing, you know, his stuff, and and now you know he's internationally syndicated now with his show, you know, uh, know the cause which I thought was a brilliant way to name it, you know, know the cause of your problems. That's how you treat it. And so I was uh, up interviewing with Doug about three years ago. We're shooting some shorts for his, uh, his TV show. And at one point, and he keeps holding up the book and my friend wrote this book, et cetera, et cetera. And it was right about the time I had been teaching him how I was doing it. And so we're in between shots. And I said, Hey, Doug, I have a question. He goes, what's that? I said, how come you stole my diet? <laughs> he said, did, did I steal your diet? And I go, well, let's see, phase one, phase two. And there's a few changes and stuff. But and he laughs. He goes, I guess I kind of did. And I said, well, that's all right. We're on the same team. It's no big deal. He says, well, I got a story for you. And what's that? And he says, well, about 2001, I get a phone call. And these people want to uh, steal my diet. Hmm. And, and he goes, oh, uh, uh, what's that? And he said, well, we want to call it the caveman diet. Uh, <laughs> and he's, he's thinking, that's kind of a stupid name, whatever, right? But anyway, he said, well, yeah, I don't care if you go ahead and use it. Anyway, that became basically uh, the keto diet. <laughs> and it's like, okay. And, you know, a lot of mine came from studying Pava Arola. And, oh, and the naturopathic doctor. Phenomenal guy, okay. Very, and, very bright, yes. And Dr. Atkins. Uh, Bob my and I friend, got, my friend. Uh, we got to be real good friends. And I'll tell you, we, oh, we lost a genius when, when he had his accident. Mm. I know, 
that that was very very unfortunate we've lost yeah. another genius lately dr sinatra did you know steve sinatra yeah i did not know him personally but uh he he had such a nice impact on so many people yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. But you have a wonderful impact yourself, and now you are Life Celebrating Health. That's the name of your practice. So what else do you treat, Dr. T? I mean, you're certainly a pioneer in mold, yeast, fungus, chelation, heavy metals. What else are you seeing in your practice? What are you concerned about? Autoimmune issues, do you think? Uh, Dr. Gittleman, here's the fun part. I, I tell my uh, staff, I don't care who comes in, just put them in a room. And you already know, we, we have a lot of demand before you ever get to see me. You've got to fill out all these forms and we start getting tests and all this. You other actually stuff. read the forms. Oh, yeah. That's where the answers are. Unlike <laughs> any other doctor I've ever seen or been to or interviewed, you actually read and ask pointed questions. So we know you've actually read them. Well, you know, the deal is, is that um, so many people, and, and let me tell you, the the urgent care system has really screwed up America because we think that you go in and you see a doctor and it doesn't matter which doctor you can see and you can see any doctor and they're all the same. Uh, or you go to these big clinics and you never get the same doctor, but you're seeing a doctor, it's all the same. Not at all. The doctors are different, but I can guarantee you the patients each are different. Every single patient is their own history and their own problems. And, and the beauty of that is if you just talk with them, they'll basically tell you where to go look for their problems and how to fix them. And, and the beauty of it is, go ahead. I'm sorry. That's if you listen. Oh, yeah. That, well, that's a, yeah, that's a part of it. Isn't it? <laughs> that, which, is, which is a very unusual quality these days. Oh. Dr. Gittleman, I have an interesting story on that. I had a lady come in. This is about 10 years ago or so. She had gut problems. Gut problems are very common for yeast patients. You know, they get bloating and diarrhea and constipation, irritable bowel, blah, 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 go through the list. And none of it gets better. And she comes in. And so I said, well, I'm pretty sure you have yeast. And we're going to kind of start on that. But I would really like for you to see a gastroenterologist. Let's just get that confirmed. And she goes, well, aren't you going to treat it? I said, you know, I'm one of these people. I've never worried about how many eyes you can put on a problem because somebody might see something I don't see. Mm. So she says, okay, well, we're, we're treating her. And she says, you know, the, the, uh, the uh, folks will not approve me seeing uh, the gastroenterologist. I said, Why? And she said, I don't know. They just said they won't approve it. Okay. So anyway, I'm treating her. We're going through it. It's a little over a year and she is spectacularly better. I mean, her, her life is now starting to celebrate health, okay? And she comes in and says to me, you know, they just approved me to see the gastroenterologist. I said, well, that's great. She goes, but I'm all better. And I go, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> wait. Remember I said, let's get separate eyes on this just to make sure I don't miss something. She said, well, you really still want me to go? And absolutely, just you know, tell him the whole story. See if then he comes up with anything else. She comes back. She says, you're not going to believe this. I go, what is that? She goes, so I go in and see him. And I tell him the story about the doctors I'd seen before and then stuff I started doing with you and then all the stuff I've been doing with you and how much better I am and all this other stuff. And that, you know, I really not sure I need to be here, but you insisted that I come in because you wanted me to be seen by a specialist and, and, I'm, and I'm definitely 
you know, I was really bad off, but I'm definitely better. And he says, okay, is that all? She goes, um, yeah. He says, I don't believe you. Oh my God. Oh, oh, whoa. He said, he said, what? I don't believe you. And I'm thinking, uh, you know, with drug seeking behavior, you know, people are trying to get drugs out of docs. You know, you, you, you maintain a certain skepticism, but this lady didn't want to be there. I sent her there and he didn't believe her. Unbelievable. So you're a firm believer, and I love the life celebrating health. The correct diagnosis is critical, and correct oh. treatment is critical. So, what mm. particular test do you do that one would find unusual in the integrative medical community? Oh boy, that's a that's a great question, Doctor Gittleman. First of all, I like a, a broad range of of tests when you're first coming in. You know, we're just setting a baseline, just looking for things. And one of the things that we always get is uh, an inflammation profile that's a rheumatoid factor and an ANA, a lupus, you know, screening test. And you would be surprised, oh, you would be startled at the number of people I see with low levels of uh, either RA, rheumatoid, or lupus patterns um, coming into my office. And they don't have any joint pains, okay, or not much, but that really is a concomitant of the yeast syndrome. In other words, that is one of the very first autoimmune things that really shows up that you can easily diagnose. Now, Phyllis Safer in San Francisco, uh, I quoted her from 1985 in my, in my book. Uh, there's about 10 pages there, starting on page 325, about the autoimmune diseases associated with the yeast syndrome. Oh, fascinating. And it's like, okay, now I, I knew about this, you know, as an intellectual thing, but good grief when you're taking care of patients and you keep seeing it, you go, this stuff is really real. And I tell patients, okay, yes, I see it. Don't worry about it. We got you covered. A lot of patients, as we get you better with the yeast, it just goes away or it doesn't really cause you a problem. Or if it does, don't worry, because I'm pretty good at immune system things. And you know, I started graduate studies in immunology in 1968 at Stanford. So I have a little background on this. Mm. And autoimmunity is just a sick immune system trying its damnedest best, okay? And you just have to support it and coach it along. And, you know, I tell people we'd rather use a, an invitation rather than an insistence, okay? And if, if you invite your body to get better and set the things up and do the right things, goodness gracious, it's way too much fun. So you are <laughs> located in humble Texas near Houston. If people wanted to reach you and work with you, I was going to say telemedicine wise, telepathically, but it was telemedicine wise. Really <laughs> oh, I like the way I like the way you think. <laughs> can people do that long distance? Yes, they can, and that's thanks to Governor Abbott when uh, this whole COVID calamity came along. Um, he allowed that you could do teleconferencing for the very first visit, not just for people who are already established patients. Now, and you want to know who this has worked best with? Dr. Gittleman, you'll love it. You, you've heard of auto brewery syndrome mm -hmm. where, you know, people are drunk without drinking mm -hmm. okay, because the, the yeast or other, you know, organisms in their gut are manufacturing alcohol thanks to the sugars or starches that are inside, okay? And these patients you know, often can't readily travel or often are kind of at the end of their rope financially or whatever. 
and we can do those by teleconferencing. And uh, sometimes I have to have them lean closer. I can slap them a bit harder because they don't understand every single thing I tell them is important to do. Okay. And uh, gosh, uh, these people, their lives can turn around because finally a doctor figured it out. And now they can treat themselves pretty well too. Well, oh, I, go ahead. Cause I was going to say, I have a funny story on that. This is about five, six years ago. I was uh, giving a lecture on this uh, to one of our physician groups uh, um, on auto brewery syndrome. Cause we just had such a good patient. And I just given a, a talk to about 300 defense attorneys on this too. Okay. And uh, the, the deal is very interesting. It's, it's a nice clinical diagnosis, but you can also get some good hard data if you, if you want and such. Well, one of my doctor friends, uh, he's become a good friend since then, goes home. This is on Saturday. I'm giving the lecture. Goes home and on Monday morning, this wife brings her husband in and starts going through this litany of concerns and such. He says, wait a minute. Wait, wait, wait. He says, I know exactly what's wrong with him. And she goes, what? And he goes, I just had a friend of mine give a lecture on this <laughs> two days ago. And he started treating him for auto breweries syndrome with dramatic improvement. Wow. And, and that's, that's the beauty of good continuing education. I, I, I don't, most of the CME meetings for, you know, doctors is just useless. It's rehashing, but when you get new information out and people can say, Hey, that'd be good. I'll try that. This is how you advance medicine. Very true. So as we start to conclude, Dr. T, I wanted to ask you something. We're seeing a lot of sinus issues. Do you mm. believe, and I was told by a good ND friend of mine, which I thought was brilliant, that the sinus is the highway to the brain. Do you mm. think all the sinus issues we're seeing, the yeast, the fungus, the mold, like mycotoxins are affecting people with neurological issues? Oh, you're trying to be my straight person and I'll give you the good stuff here. Yep. <laughs> Let me tell you, I started treating this in 83 and then I, I get patients dramatically better. And, you know, a few years they'd come back and they go, you know, doc, I, I kind of got off the program. I kind of got it back again. And you talk with them, they're not really much off the program, but they definitely do have recurrent yeast symptoms and stuff. And I realized every single one of them had sinus continuing issues. And I go, hmm, that's interesting. So I said, this has got to be a reservoir that keeps seeding the body and yes, I've done it's not the gut it's the nose you got it <laughs> and i'd done a poor job of handling that so i kind of uh, revised some of my program to make sure i covered that well interestingly enough I've, I've got two really wonderful things number one in 1999 mayo not sure i like everything mayo i'm not sure i like a lot of things that mayo does but this was a very well done study they came out and said, we finally figured out about recurrent and chronic sinus infections. And they go, it's yeast. And you go, oh, really? You guys, you guys are onto that. That's good. Wow. I wow. that out what, what, a discovery. what an uncovery. And well, this is kind of neat, huh? Now, you know, the very next things that appeared in the medical literature were, oh, no, they're wrong. Oh, they can't be right. Opinion papers. They didn't do more science. They just said they can't be right. All right. So that's one thing. And like I say, we've been not, you know, all these chronic infections, recurrent pneumonia, recurrent kidney infections, uh, recurrent uh, gut colitis, recurrent sinus infections, ears, all that. All that stuff is really deeply seated yeast that you just have to 
treat and then it goes away. It's gone because your body is restored with its immune capacity to handle that. Yes. But about uh, seven or eight years ago, um, there were some interesting publications on Alzheimer's as a brain infection. Hmm. Now, no, we, we don't treat it that way, Dr. Gittleman, but you know, there's some pretty good evidence. About two years later, they said, hey, listen, regular dementia is also a brain infection. No, I just, I'm just pestering and fiddling with that and fiddling with that all this time, especially with, you know, the results I was getting from Dr. Fry's lab. Oh, I want to tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. But uh, so I'm pestering this. And about three years ago, I, I realized, oh, my goodness. And this is the crazy part. I've even lectured on this a couple of years before that because I was president of the uh, International Academy of Biological Dentistry and Medicine. So, you know, I would give lectures relating the two fields. And I'm going, the the source of that infection is most likely the gums in the jaw. Oh, oh, that's interesting. And of course, you know, what's intimately related to that are the sinuses. Mm. The, the top structures we're carrying around are the ones that are seeding our diseases so brilliant so simple so elegant and, and you know i wish i had been the first to think of it but the, the dentists were thinking of this 130 years ago i know god bless them that's the western prices the hal huggins of this oh, world good grief weren't uh wasn't Hal just an incredible human being incredible hal, incredible a, a wonderful thought about impacted molars he said you know they're a different tissue and when they stay impacted, instead of coming out, that's creating an autoimmune pattern. I said, good grief, Hal, that's brilliant. I, and I think he was absolutely right on that. I think he was brilliant on that. Oh, I want to tell you one other thing about um, the uh, infection patterns, okay? Yes. Dr. Fry, when he's looking at these, um, shows that numbers of the, quote, deep blood fungus pattern that he was looking at were associated with a, a fungus called Phenelliformis mossiae. Now, it means nothing to you or me, except that's a fancy name for what's called an arborizal fungus, or one that grows in plants. Now, turns out it actually has a protective effect on plants when it's growing inside their root system because it helps to detoxify things, I think mostly toxic metals and other things like that. But Phenelformis is just a valuable uh, a crop assist, okay? technicality number one it has the richest genetic endowment in other words it's got a lot of dna answers to things that other you know fungus and molds don't have now the most common yeast that we see for human beings is candida albicans mm. which has a hugely rich genetic endowment compared to other yeasts these two puppies are the ones we can identify because they have exploited the evolutionary niche there they figured it out and and they're good at attacking and i think that's where we're going to find the answers for alzheimer's and others is th those things have encouraged and opened the door for other organisms uh fungal bacterial viral whatever and coming in. oh when i say viral don't forget Epstein-Barr, the monovirus and cytomegalovirus, I'm pretty sure those open the door to a lot of our health problems in later years. So true. So tell my listeners, how can they get in touch with you, Dr. Chi? You've been oh. so generous with your time today. 
Delightful. Dr. Gettleman, I really appreciate this, this opportunity to be with you. And I'd be glad to do this anytime you want, because, um, you know, I'll have to tell you, I'm, I'm uh, hanging on to your coattails because you have such an incredible background with, you know, dozen, over three dozen books and such. Uh, you, you got people listening to you and I'd be happy to have you promote my voice. That'd be great. So, yeah, well, we'll have you back many times because there's much more I want to ask you, but, oh, that's but for now, people are baiting at the bit. How can they get okay. in touch with you? Very simple. The first thing they can easily do is go to my website, which is healthchoicesnow.com. And the reason we say health choices now, if you don't know you have health choices now, you don't have any. <laughs> so, so we want to make sure that we're presenting ideas about this. And the second thing they can do, uh, and there's a whole bunch of uh, reading materials on there and, and, you know, CDs, DVDs and programs. Oh, there's one that's really wonderful. It's called MNN or Immunity Inflammation Infection. It's a lecture I delivered uh, two or three years ago that shows those are all the exact same thing but mm. we send it to different doctors and they never notice. Mm. Uh, that's just a fun one. Anyway, that's one thing they can do, just get a flavor of what we do. Um, and then uh, if they have specific uh, questions, they can uh, call 1-800-FIX-PAIN, F-I-X-P-A-I-N, FIX-PAIN, and, uh, and uh, you know, leave messages or talk to the nurses and such. And uh, we we... You know, one of the problems is Billy Crook did such a good job of of kind of keeping a list of where doctors were around the country that could help treat people. And, and after he died, that just went away. But sometimes we can kind of point you in the right direction of someone close to you who will be able to tell you. Or, again, we can do teleconferencing and that, that teleconsulting really has been very effective in the motivated patient. I'm sure, Dr. Gittleman, you have that same thing. If they're motivated, they're easy. That's the key. So, Dr. T, thank you so much for being my guest. You'll come back again. We'll talk about chelation. Oh, gosh, yes. And 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 everything else you want to talk about. It's all, you know, I told my my office boss a couple of years ago, I said, you know, I have had never had this much fun practicing medicine ever before. It is exciting. It's wonderful. I'm so glad to hear that. What are your plans for the next five years? Oh, it's very easy. You know, we talked about this, this Alzheimer's and this dementia thing and everything. And I include Parkinson's and that because, you know, all these brain things are kind of interesting. I am absolutely convinced these are infectious, immune, inflammatory processes. And I really am scratching to find the answers for those. And incidentally, that just leads into the same kind of answers for cancers. Uh, you know, all, the, all these things relate. You're going to be curing the incurables. That'll be our next podcast. That'll work. That'll be fun. That'll be great fun. So thank you again for being my guest. And thank you to all my listeners. Listen every week to First Lady of Nutrition. Have a wonderful, excellent, yeast-free week of it all, my friends. Health, happiness. May you live to 120. Shalom uvracha. And please don't forget to subscribe and like First Lady of Nutrition podcast. Thank you so very much.